0: Greetings, juniors. It's Mr. Shovlin with you for reading aloud from our short book, Absolute Relativism by Christophonic, pages 10 through 19. This is your reading for in class on Thursday, November 18th, For especially for those of you who aren't with us in the classroom today, so that you can have the reading read to you if that is a way that helps you and that you can stay connected with us and if you were in class you can still use this as a helpful resource to review the reading from class today we're gonna pick up here on page 10 of the PDF page 10 by that I mean where the writing has started and it's the number 10 on the bottom center of the page we're picking up where it says point number three relativism deprives children of formation Relativism deprives children of formation. We no longer encourage young people to find and conform to the truth. Many are under the impression that a young person can discover who he really is only if he is free from the molds of his parents, society, religion, or even his own body. In a recent example of relativism relativism run amok, the parents of a seven-year-old transgendered boy discovered that he had a boy's body, but apparently a girl's brain. They sent him to school dressed as a girl, thinking that he'd find his true self by conforming to his confusion rather than to what was dictated by his body. The outcome of this situation is that a child in desperate need of counseling for gender identity disorder is getting none. Here we see an extreme illustration of how we are raising a relativist generation. When we offer our children acceptance without guidance or teach them ethics without reference to truth, Far from setting them free, we are morally abandoning them. The sad irony is that this abandonment usually happens in the name of love, but love without truth, much like truth without love, is a unique form of cruelty. Apply the principles of relativism to driver's education classes and see how misguided our relativist child-rearing is. Would we consider it loving acceptance to tell teens learning how to drive the... They no longer had to pay attention to those silly yellow lines that repressed their forefathers and kept them in their lanes. Yet this is how we train young people in ethics, which deals with how they drive their lives. Left with moral compasses that are directed only by self-education and desire, countless young people drift into ruin. What many call loving acceptance is, in fact, moral abandonment, and there is nothing loving about it. In the words of Pope Benedict XVI, Only in truth does charity shine forth, and only in truth can charity be authentically live. Without truth, charity degenerates into sentimentality. Love becomes an empty shell to be filled with an arbitrary way. In a culture without truth, this is the fatal risk facing love. Number four, relativism separates us from one another. It isn't just blood relationships, but rather ideals, principles, and traditions that unite a people and create a nation. When people rally around something bigger than themselves, they experience unity. Relativism removes the notion that we need to conform to a reality that is bigger than our own opinions, values, and preferences. It erodes the mortar that builds a society Pope Benedict XVI has said, Under the semblance of freedom, relativism becomes a prison for each one, it, for it separates people from one another, locking each person into his or her own eagle. Relativism places e pluribus unum, which is an important phrase in our country's history, out of many, one, with e pluribus pluribus, out of many, many. Nothing has the power to dissolve a nation like relativism. Perhaps this will... Be proven in Western civilization over the next few hundred years, though I hope it isn't. Number five, relativism undermines the right to life. Some will claim that there is nothing wrong with abortion. Our point isn't to debate the issue at length, but simply to show how abortion could be legal only in a relativist society. First, abortion is legal because of how a relativist society comes to see human rights. When a society acknowledges that human rights are based on objective principles, like the dignity of the person and natural law, those rights are secure. But a society that does not recognize moral assertions as objective facts puts those rights on shaky ground. Rights come to be regarded as favors granted by the state or by a majority vote. This is even the case with what was once seen as the inalienable right to life. No gifts are safe when the right to life is not. John Paul II saw the casual relationship of relativism to abortion very clearly. In Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life, he wrote, The original and inalienable right to life is questioned or denied on the basis of a parliamentary vote. This is the sinister result of a relativism which reigns unopposed. The right ceases to be such because it is no longer firmly founded on the inviolable dignity of the, per- of the person. Second, abortion is legal because of how a relativist society views human wrongs. In the words attributed to Mother Teresa, if abortion isn't wrong, what is? For the relativist who carries his philosophy to its logical conclusion, the answer would be nothing is wrong. One of the central arguments of pro-abortion groups is implied by the popular name of their movement, Pro-Choice. They claim that abortion should be legal in the name of freedom of choice, not necessarily because it's a moral decision. Such an argument could win only in a society where no act is seen as inherently wrong, and freedom alone uprooted from any objectivity is left to decide by itself what is good and what is evil. Abortion was made legal by relativism and probably remains legal because of it. Though polls show a majority of Americans are opposed to abortion, they do nothing about it, most likely because the majority of Americans are relativists, not wanting to, quote, impose their morality on someone else. And so it seems that a multitude of Americans think an act is murder, but won't do anything about it. This fact proves that we are unable to turn a blind eye to any action we think it fall any action if we think it falls under the protective umbrella of relativism. It isn't hard to see how this trend could be extremely dangerous. Thanks to relativism, our societal trend regarding human life won't end with legalized abortion. We are doing things today that humanity would have found almost universally repulsive just a generation ago. In the 1970s, in vitro fertilization was hotly debated, and Britain's Medical Research Council refused to fund research out of ethical and safety concerns. In 2010, one of the founders of in vitro fertilization won a Nobel Prize. Today, human embryos are used to advance medicine, and British scientists are legally creating human-animal hybrid clones for experimentation. This too is debated, but it's legal nonetheless. It is assumed that we can progress scientifically. However, there seems to be less and less regard for whether or not we should. Science like this can no longer claim to be at the service of humanity. Rather, it puts human life at the service of science or the helpless servant at the service of the wealthy and the strong. Such progress is actually regress, a return to a survival of the fittest. Life at its weakest is no longer safe when relativism reigns. Human rights are no longer treated as absolutes, but rather made subject to the values of those in positions of authority. Number six, relativism makes it easy for those in authority to manipulate others. As we have said above, when people don't think their rights are based on objective principles, they come to see them as favors granted by those in power. Such favors can just as easily be taken away by the government, authorities, or a majority vote. In the words of Pope John Paul II, to educate without a value system based on truth is to abandon young people to moral confusion, personal insecurity, and easy manipulation. The Founding Fathers of the United States weren't easily manipulated by those in power because they weren't relativists. They saw their rights as inalienable, moral facts firmly founded in man's very nature. They saw that a person's inherent dignity demanded self-governance. They were certain enough about their rights to be willing to die for them. If they had been relativists, America probably wouldn't exist today. In words often attributed to Edmund Burke, All that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Relativism produces a society of do-nothings in the face of moral evils. Why put your life on the line for your personal value system? Why resist unjust laws and authorities if there are no real rights, but just varying preferences? Number seven, relativism puts the freedom of speech under attack. We can easily debate objective principles in math or science without worrying about hurting people's feelings or having words our words labeled hate speech because these topics are recognized as belonging to the realm of fact. The subject matter is a step removed from us, but the relativist world equates moral decisions and religious creeds with personal sentiments that lack any objectivity as a result, debating the validity of someone else's claims is often perceived as a nasty personal attack. Perhaps this is why debates of religious or eth- or of a religious or an ethical nature tend to quickly escalate to emotional battles devoid of logic. It seems we're losing our ability to intelligently debate on the most important things. And worse, it's becoming ever more dangerous to do so. In recent years, it has become ever more precarious for institutions like the Catholic Church to teach some of the traditional ethics that it has taught and to which most of Western civilization has adhered for thousands of years. For instance, regarding the moral character of the sexual act is often labeled bigotry and hate speech, even if it is done charitably and respectfully, which it always should be. We see real-life examples of this trend in Canada, where you can be sued for saying anything or writing anything that can, quote, "'expose a person or persons to hatred or contempt.'" Or in other words, strongly criticizing another's ideas or lifestyle. The person doing the suing may have all legal fees covered by the state. The person being sued has to cover his own legal fees and has no right to face his accuser. Under this law, which can be used to beat those who subscribe to objective truth into submission, clergymen have been put through grueling and costly trials for defending traditional marriage or for speaking against homosexual lobbying groups. In one instance, a Protestant pastor in Alberta named Stephen Boyson was told to pay a fine and write an enunciation of his views in the local paper. He was also ordered to never speak or write on the topic again. The ruling was overturned, but only after more than seven years of legal harassment. Whenever you take a stand on the issue of homosexual rights, you have to admit that this is intolerance at its fine. Whatever you take, excuse me, whatever stand you take on the issue of homosexual rights, You have to admit that this is intolerance at its finest. Ironically, the person in charge of the Human Rights Commission for this case also dismissed a complaint that a rock and roll band with the lyrics, Kill the Christian, in one of the songs. Number eight, relativism destroys faith. As we mentioned before, it seems that most people today are under the false impression that if something is... Scientifically verifiable, it is objectively true, whereas everything else is only subjectively true, that is, sentiment or opinion. Such belief reduces God from the status of a living, actual living being, to personal sentiment that can legitimately vary from person to person. Because of this demotion, relativists are able to say things like, Jesus is God for you, but Vishnu is God for someone else. By this, they mean not only that people see God differently, but that God is, in fact, different for each person. And that if each person is able to create his or her own own deity on his personal taste, much in the same way that he would craft his own drink at Starbucks. There's a joke that the main difference between humans and God is that God never thinks he's us. By subjectifying God, relativism sets us up as creators of God rather than God as creator of us. This idea is incompatible with the notion that God as an actual being, of God as an actual being. If God is someone or something that each person creates rather than someone we discover or someone who seeks us out, then he is no more real than a creation of a person's imagination. He is reduced to a mere projection from the mind of the believer or a group of believers. However, if an intelligent and personal God exists, as over 95% of the world's population would contend, then he has attributes that our individual or collective opinions don't create or change, just as you have attributes that aren't changed by what people believe about you. Unlike make-believe characters, a real God would be a being who exists independent of what we think of him and with attributes that our beliefs don't affect. This means that some people believe things about God that are wrong. Coming to know love and follow the living God is the goal of faith. Such a relationship is possible is impossible if God is not viewed as a being who who is independent of the believer's imagination. The believer may still go through the motions of religious practice for the sake of tradition or nostalgia, but he does not he does so no longer in an attempt to understand and conform to a divine being who exists beyond himself. For the relativist, the outer shell of faith may remain intact, but at its core, it has rotted away. I just laid out for you why relativism is wrong and followed that up with a handful of ways that is destructive into the world. But even if you want to agree with me, if you're convinced that relativism is the only way to achieve tolerance, that and that belief in objective truth is the root of all cruelty. I won't be able to change your mind. You see many are convinced that relativism is the glue that holds a pluralistic society together, and that without it we dissolve into intolerant warring clans. For this reason, an argument for absolute truth is often perceived as an argument for Nazi era intolerance. Naturally, such an argument is rejected if it if it even if it seems logical.